Hello. Welcome to Journey of Faith, Episode 4. On today's program, we discuss morality. We discuss it from a philosophical perspective as well as a religious perspective, seeking to find some sort of answer to the question of how morality fits into Christianity, and if it is perhaps different from a Christian perspective than from a natural perspective. Stay tuned. I remember my first honest thought about morality came at a very young age, around the age of 11, and the thought went something like this. If love is this transcendent idea to Christianity, why is it that Christ said something along the lines of, if ye love me, keep my commandments? The problem I had with this in my mind at the age of 11 was that it seemed so trivial and petty. I didn't understand why someone must keep a list of rules to love God. And I never really came to an explanation about that question. Over the past couple episodes, we've talked about many things. We've talked about problems in the Western Church. We've discussed many different Christian perspectives on those problems, all throughout trying to find some sort of foundation for moving forward. But I realize that we have assumed one thing the entire time, that we all agree on one of the most basic of ideas, morality. What it is, how it affects us, that it's important. So I'm left in a position where we must unpack morality before we move forward at all. And perhaps by the end of today's stream of consciousness exploration, we will have come to a place where we not only have defined Christian morality, we will have defined whether or not the natural man possesses morality in any sense at all. When you think about morality from a philosophical perspective, there are two people who are impossible to ignore. The first, Aristotle. The second, Nietzsche. Aristotle described morality in terms of a spectrum. Think of it as going down a road. You're walking down a road and there is ground off to your left and ground off to your right, and in the middle of the road is the perfect track to walk on. The medium between the two extremes. So if on the extreme on the left is this idea of absolute cowardice, and on, then on the right there's this idea of absolute courage to the point of being brash, then in the middle is bravery. So that's one way of thinking about it. The problem that I right away see with this definition of morality is that if morality is merely a spectrum, like the color spectrum, different shades of color all running into one another, then there is no delineation of what is right and wrong, technically. Technically, the good path has been chosen by Aristotle and is merely a mixture of good and bad. So then what is good and bad? Now that you've mixed it together in the same cup, can you really define it? Nietzsche responds to this 
pretty vehemently. His opinion was that morality is merely the laws of the powerful. The powerful decide what morality is. And that there's a slave morality, if you could call it that, although he didn't come up with that term. And there's a master morality, although he also did not come up with that term. Master morality is such that one chooses the path that brings the most power and transcendence to the human race at large, and also to your group of followers or whatever. Slave morality can be Christianity, Buddhism, whatever you want it to be. And this is interesting because now there are different rules for different sorts of people. The, the slaves, that's the term that he might use, need to be kept all in line, nice and clean, looking, looking in tip-top shape, ready to follow the rules and follow the directives of the kingdom or the religion, what have you. The masters need to have a morality that allows them complete freedom and power to achieve whatever they want to achieve. In Nietzsche's mind, this is obviously getting out of the way and bringing into being the overman, or in his language, the übermensch. So, when you take these things, both of these ideas, to their final conclusion, Aristotle's ideas seem to bring you to the point where everyone's a coward. You're not doing any purely good actions or any purely bad actions. You're just walking down the safe middle of the road, mixing and being moderate between good and bad extremes. Whereas in Nietzsche's point of view, you have this issue that the, the, the dispossessed and uncared for of society have nothing to call their own. They're merely the title of a slave. And if they die so that the overman comes into being, then so much the better. So you can see the difficulty in these two secular ideas of morality. And again, all of this goes to say that morality and law are two different things. We're not talking about law, which is based upon morality. We're talking about something even further back in time Morality itself, which is the foundation of law. We're trying to figure out what morality is, and if there is any sort of universal. Or if, as Nietzsche says, might is right, and morality is the opinion of the victorious. So, let's consider some Christian ideas in this conversation. A lot of Christians would say that Morality is merely the law of God. The law of God is something that is held in the human heart. It's t so tied up with our heart that we know exactly what it is. And there's this thing called our conscience that tells us what is right and wrong. The difficulty that I see with this opinion is that it confuses morality with law. God has instituted laws. But upon what basis has he instituted laws? That's what we have to get at.
We're going back before the institution of laws. So think, for example, before the foundations of the earth were laid, before there was anything, all the way back, what was it like in the communion of the Trinity? For those who are not sure what I mean by that, simply think of it as what was it like for God to be by himself? Did he live by any rules? Did he live by any precepts? And if he did, what might those have been? It seems right to think that whatever precepts he lived by would be in keeping with his nature, who he is. If God is an infinite being, he has every right to live exactly how he pleases, to exist exactly how he pleases, and anything that exists comes from him and therefore must live in keeping with his definition of being. So, if we want to come to a definition of Christian morality right away, we could simply say that Christian morality is living in keeping with the nature of God. So let's consider how this lines up with my earlier conundrum at the age of 11. My problem was that keeping a list of rules seems very petty. You could even say laws. How is it that keeping a list of laws shows God that I love him? So if God is the policeman and I am the criminal, seeing myself in relation to God as merely a criminal or a reprobate who is constantly trying to keep and not break laws would definitely bring me to the point that I was in in my earlier conundrum. But I think we've already come to a definition, and it looks like we're at a mere ten and a half minutes in. The real Christian definition of morality seems to be living in keeping with the nature of God. When a son looks up to his father, he sees his father and says, Wow, I am proud of the man from whom I came. I'm proud of the man whose son I am. And I want to be like him. And even if for a while a son goes through a stage where they say, I will never be like my father, I don't want to be like him, he's the only basis of being a man that a son has. So he has no other choice but to imitate him, as much as he may want to deny that later on in life. And as much as there may only be a small part that admires him, he can't get away from that encoded DNA that makes him want to imitate his father. In the same way, it might be better to see God as a father from whom all of us proceeded at one point. And we want to imitate him. Deep down in the deepest parts of our heart, we want to be like him. We can't escape that. It's like the encoded DNA in the fabric of existence itself. If there is an infinite being who has defined 
being itself and given a definition to that. And we proceeded from that. We have no other choice. And I would even say no other desire but to live in keeping with that. So, now we consider if there is a universal universal morality. If the universe is merely a purely material chain of events caused by nothing but atoms colliding, what have you, then there is no system of morality that is universal. Let's consider what a world with no universal system of morality would be. One who thinks deeply would quickly see this would be a world full of chaos. Every person could decide, this is my law for myself. And at that point, what right does a government have to say, this is right, this is wrong? We see this question in our society right now. The, the age-old argument between homosexuality and heterosexual marriage, monogamous union. And we know that scientifically there are certain things that proceed from each of those unions. And I use this word loosely. From a heterosexual monogamous union, no disease has ever been proven to proceed. More, moreover, a child proceeds from that union. Take the non-monogamous heterosexual union. It is proven that disease is a possibility in that union. Take, for example, the homosexual union. It is quite possible that disease could proceed from such a union. And that's aside from any sort of morality. And I am not making any statements about the morality of either of those things. But now let's consider it. What if there was in fact an infinite being that coded existence in such a way as to make those two things the way they are? Or I guess three things. In the middle you have the heterosexual union, the monogamous heterosexual union, that does not produce disease, assuming that both of them have been monogamous throughout their whole life and have been heterosexual throughout their whole life. On the other side of the coin, you have the person who is heterosexual but non-monogamous. It's, it's proven fact that disease can proceed. It doesn't always, but can proceed from such a union. And I shouldn't even have to reference the AIDS crisis in the 80s. So we, we look at this and we say, why has it come into being in this way? Quite honestly, if we believe that there is a person who coded existence in this way, then it makes sense that the moral universal is so universal that it's even in our biology. It's even in the fabric of flesh and blood. If that's the case, then not only does following a list of moral precepts supposedly show a loving father that we love him, it also helps keep us safe. So now we consider, is there any sort of this morality 
held within the human heart? Does the human heart naturally long for and desire morality? So let's take a train of human thought going over five minutes and take that as our sample size. Everybody tends to agree that everyone must love everyone and do unto others as you would have done unto you. So let's take for the sample size five minutes. The first five minutes that one gets out of bed in the morning, what is one considering in that moment? Typically, if they're a normal person, they're considering getting ready and going about their business. Let's take a sample size of 30 minutes. At that point, they are on the road to work. They've perhaps picked up a coffee, ordered food, and they are headed to whatever means of gainful employment they have acquired for themselves. And have they thought about anyone else at this point? No, I and mean, if they're anything like me, they've probably cut off five people on the highway by this point. Uh, if they're particularly angry, they might have even flipped someone off and cursed their fellow man. It's taken an hour. By the time they get to work, they have probably received some order from their boss. They probably have not thought very positive, kind thoughts towards their boss. They have not treated two groups of people now, the people on the highway and their boss, the way they would want to be treated. And we could keep on extending out this sample size of a person's day. Let's just skip ahead to the end. Let's get all past all that terrible stuff in the middle. They're going home. Maybe they're going home to a wife or to kids or to their roommates. And yet again, they're probably, if they're very self-aware, realizing that they're very annoyed at things that their wife or roommates are doing. And they either give them the cold shoulder and ignore them entirely and try to be in their own space and just have everyone leave them alone, or they might even engage in harsh, unkind words with those people. So in the past 30, 30 seconds to a minute, I have taken a whole person's day and shown that from beginning to end, the typical person is most likely looking at themselves. Now, can I prove that? I cannot. But I know from my own heart enough to know that it is highly likely. From minute five to the very end of the day. Now let's consider the opposite side of this coin. They might not do that. They might get up and from minute five to the end of the day, they're saying, wow, I get to go to work today and serve my employer and serve others. No one would ever say that. When it comes down to it, they want to be served. But think about it this way. If they are to treat others as they would want to be treated, they would be serving others. Now, does that happen? Probably not. Most of us are serving ourselves from day one. Now, again, if we're going to talk about a moral universal, you first have to agree with the golden rule. It was a emblazoned on the mind idea for the West for thousands of years. Now, 
For all we know, that idea could be going up in flames like the Notre Dame Cathedral, and no one even think that is the basis of morality. But I ask you, if that is not the basis of morality, give me a better alternative. Give me an alternative that can create a paradise that is similar to the paradise of Western society over the past 2,000 years, that doesn't have an Assyrian empire tearing people limb from limb, that doesn't have a Babylonian empire pinning people to their walls, that doesn't have a Roman empire crucifying rebels along the Appian Way. If you can give me a suitable moral alternative to what we have in the West as the golden rule, then I will completely change my mind and I will come up with a better system right along with you and we will live in peace. But the closest the human race has ever gotten to utopia in all of its history has been in the past 2,000 years. For all of its flaws, for all of its failures, this is the closest we have ever been to leave these things behind not only a crime, but utter foolishness. And I ask you to consider it, and to consider that morality must be a universal, and it must be grounded, and then we can continue our discussion on the journey of faith.